0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Under the Wire. I'm sorry for the late start this morning, but uh, we have an amazing program for you today. Uh, We have one of the few scientists, real scientists in the world with us, Dr. James Lyonsweiler, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name right. I hope he'll correct me if I'm not. Um, And he is joining us today to talk about the, not only the COVID-19 outbreak, but also a study that he's doing on vaccinated versus unvaccinated children. And um, also he's done amazing work into the toxicity of aluminium um, when it comes to vaccinations. And we're going to talk about a whole range of things. So I'm hoping that um, we can cover a lot of stuff. And you guys, I'm just lowering this volume down because I think I'm blowing your eardrums out. And um, I'm going to, without further ado... Uh, Switch over to James. James, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Mary.
0: Okay, so obviously you're in the United States, and the U.S. is having the same sort of problems with COVID-19 that we're having in Australia, perhaps on a grander scale, because you have 330 million people versus our 24 million people, so um, that's a lot more people to actually get sick, but um, I wanted to speak with you about your impression. You have done some work into coronavirus and sure. the uh, the spike proteins, especially in coronavirus. Now, first of all, um, I want to speak with you about what your impression is about where we're going with this right now, with the lockdown, with the whole Um, situation with people being told that they have to stay at home and they uh, are are at risk if they go out of the house. Perhaps I'm going ahead of myself. You start with what you think is most important to begin with.
1: All right. Well, thank you. Well, I wanted to to back up a little bit and say that the reason why things are as bad as they are in the United States, the United States having probably now a third of the world's cases of coronavirus, New York, state alone having more deaths than all other you know any other country Hmm. um yeah so we're, we're 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 in dire straits and how did we get there so fast we got there so fast because the cdc declined to use that test that was offered to them by germany on January 16th, this, the, Germany had a test that was already validated, 141 other countries had already adopted it, and CDC said no. U.S. CDC said, we need to make our own test because our job is to be the most, the, the most important lab on, on the planet. Our job is to validate everybody else's test, so we can't use Germany's test. We have to you know, be the great one, and we have to validate everyone's test. They made a test they shipped the test out. This is when the people on the Princess cruise ship uh, that were locked on lockdown there. They tested a a lot of people. And their test came back saying this person has it, this person doesn't. And then they released people that they said that the test was negative. Now they were under observation, but they released them. And some people just left and went their merry way. And it turned out that their test was flawed. They had made a mistake. And because of the errors in the test, people were reusing that test and relying on the test and still testing with that test Then they said, well, wait a minute, this person died of COVID-19 and the pathologist says it's COVID-19. The pulmonologist says it's COVID-19. The, um molecular tests that we run says that the virus is there but your test doesn't they contacted the cdc this took a week and a half before they figured out there was something wrong with the test and so they wasted that precious time where they could have done real testing with real contact tracing with the test from germany um and we have basically no contact tracing in the united states whatsoever no no meaningful and the, the, the cdc um and change the rules on how to use the test rather than use uh, three of the primer probe sets, just use two of them. And basically Anthony Fauci, he's on the Tony Fauci, he's on the, the news every day. Uh, he's he turned to um, the companies and said that the, the, the corporations and said, Well, can you guys help us out? Well, it turned out that the FDA wasn't giving company tests or emergency use approval to give the CDC a heads up uh, a leg up on on testing how can this US CDC possibly validate other people's tests if they can't make their own tests? And I'm confused as towards why they uh, can't make an accurate test I could teach. Uh, I personally right now could teach everybody on the call how to make an RT PCR test, you know, in, in about three days, with, with three days instruction online, I could say this is how you make an RT PCR test. Um, and it's accurate. And, and they, they actually made a test back in 2003 for SARS virus. And they used this test and they did appropriate contact tracing and they boast on their website that they were fundamental in shutting down the SARS outbreak because they did the testing and they did the contact tracing. So I don't know what happened at CDC between 2003 and uh, 2019 2020 but um, they are they are in a very real tangible specific way uh, 100% responsible for the fact that it got out of hold, got it got ahead of it got ahead of us in the united states
0: so that with all the money in the world basically the cdc was unable to make an accurate test but on top of that what i'm hearing and i'd love to hear you address this as well Um, We are getting, it's interesting you mentioned Dr. Fauci because Ron Paul, who is an ex-senator and also a medical doctor, has called on Fauci to be fired. And I would think that he never should have been hired in the first place because he has such a long history of corruption. But we are being told that the CDC is instructing doctors on how to classify deaths from COVID-19 and not to test them. Um, But actually, if they find evidence of COVID-19 in the person who's died, even if they have cancer or an underlying condition that could have very easily led to their death, to classify it as a death from COVID-19. So we could possibly or potentially, and I think Italy has found the same thing. Italy is going back and saying now only about 12% of the deaths from COVID-19 or actually deaths from COVID-19. Is it possible that there is also a huge overestimation of deaths from COVID-19 in the United States because of this um, instruction uh, to classify basically everything as COVID-19?
1: Yeah, the answer to that is yes and no. So I have articles um, in both directions. Uh, if you look at the CDCs, uh, there's an article I wrote on the LinkedIn, which is a professional network, that asks the question Is CDC borrowing influenza deaths f- mm. for COVID 19 deaths? And the reason why I put it that way is because in 2014, CDC said there's 55,000 deaths from pneumonia or flu, but they separated them out. There was only 4,500 due to the influenza virus. Right. There was actually the rest of them were pneumonia uh, from other causes, including coronavirus, including uh, RSV virus, and other causes. And so, When you look at 2015 and on, they actually combine them into pneumonia and influenza, and they call it influenza disease without testing. And so what their MO has been since 2015, if you have a respiratory ailment and you die, we're not going to test you for it, we're gonna call it flu. So they've already been doing this this long, and so they have to borrow mortality from influenza disease, even though it's because Um, it's actually coronavirus-related disease. It's, It's very convoluted because now the question is, how are they going to justify the flu vaccine? All these years, they've said that the flu vaccine is necessary because Influenza is an epidemic. It takes if you have if if you have a cause of death that is explains more than 7.3 percent of deaths in the United States that allows you to say it's an epidemic. So if you take away the coronavirus deaths, that's going to make the flu plus pneumonia of influenza disease fall below 7.3 percent. It's no longer going to be an epidemic. So there there goes their flu vaccine number two. If they start tracking flu and coronaviruses with testing, there's going to be so few of them that are definitely coronavirus, that they're not going to be able to say it's an epidemic and therefore we have to have mass vaccination. And so it, they're, they're going to be caught between a rock and a hard place because the United States public is wide awake on this. Mm. This has become embedded in the DNA of politicians, not just Ron Paul. OK, we're talking about people who a year ago would swear up and down that CDC was was uh, uh, all the employees at CDC had halos and wings it, right, that they they could do no wrong and and they can walk on water. And now we're seeing some pretty important people that are coming out and saying, yeah, something's seriously wrong at the CDC, and I can't believe they're acting this way. And so they they have to be held accountable, there's no doubt about it. I also was involved early in the Fire Fauci campaign. If you check out the hashtag Fire Fauci, um I'm not one to try to claim primacy on that. It's an obvious conclusion that Anthony Fauci should be fired. I have an article on on um the cdc's deadly testing fiasco at jameslionsweiler.com and the wwdny studios on youtube there's a there's a series that that we're doing um on how to end the pandemic and the first one is cdc's deadly fiasco and it lays out article by article the real history i wanted to capture it in real time so that we can go back and we can prosecute basically I, i have to put myself in the role of a prosecuting attorney And it's worth doing now because, and see, you know, Anthony Fauci said, well, it's not really worth looking into right now. There was, there's no bad guys. It's just something that happened. And when he said that, he said, it's just something that happened. I thought about a kid that's in the kitchen trying to get cookies and knocked over (laughs) his mom's favorite dish. Who did that? I don't know. It's just something that happened. It's Bart Simpson.
0: It wasn't me.
1: (laughs) Right. It's just something that happened. It's a child's excuse. And so they have no, they have no uh, excuse whatsoever for not adopting the, the test from Germany, they have no excuse for uh, uh, creating and uh, shipping a failed test. And now they have no excuse for doing uh, improper bookkeeping. Uh, They're cooking the books on influenza, they're trying to cook the books on COVID-19. So what I've done is I've made a call for all health freedom groups in all 50 states to FOIA, that is a Freedom of Information Act request to uh, the federal, not the federal government, but the state government on, on week by week, all of the flu vaccine deaths and all the coronavirus deaths, so that we can capture the data before the CDC gets it and and and, and cooks it. And if this is the first you've you've heard about this, if you live in the United States, uh, my pri- highest, really, this is my <laughs> pleasure being here. I'm so grateful to be here. But you see, I'm 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 in the middle of the ring. Okay. I'm in the middle of the ring because, because uh, you know, I'm taking the lead on what treatment should be. We're going to get into it. We're taking the lead on what diagnostics should be. We're taking IPAC has taken the lead on defining the narrative to the point where I was at this in, Jan, in late January. I was calling for, you know, so, some slight social distancing, not putting your hands above your shoulders and so on. And now and proper testing. And now we're at a p- position where I know a pathway in the United States out of this mess. And, and it certainly does involve resignations by Fauci and people at the CDC f- uh, for making the bad decisions they made at the CDC. But Fauci for not being forthright and saying, you know what, we made a bad decision. We need to get accurate testing, and we need to let Americans do independent private testing now. It, it, the cat's out of the bag. It's, it's a, you know the demons out of the the genie's out of the bottle. However you want to look at it, uh, that we there's only one one and only one way, and that's independent. Mm -hmm. private testing where people can be informed about their status so they can act socially responsible. The government doesn't need to know my COVID-19 status any more than they need to know my HIV status. I will act, right? If I'm pregnant, if I'm a woman and I want to know if I'm pregnant, I take a private test. The government doesn't know. If I can seek medical attention, there's a medical test and a clinical test, and I can certainly then expect that, okay, for for, um, infectious disease tracking and control, If that's the reason for the test, yeah, the state, the CDC says you have every medical test, every clinical test has to be reported. Uh, But they only report the gender and uh, the age and your zip code. So there's still privacy there. But if I want to go to my local drugstore and I want to pick up a package of a $10 stick and I want to stick my finger and I want to put my blood on it and I want to know if there's one, two or three lines, that's my business. I'll, I'll be able to protect my family, my grandparents. Or I'll know that I'm immune because I have two. I have two lines. If I've got, if I'm sorry, if, if I have the IgG line, I can, I can, I can take off and I can get back to my life.
0: And that's pretty amazing what you've said because in Australia, um, most states and the federal government have said we're not going to be coming out of lockdown until there's a vaccine available for COVID nineteen. However long that takes, I mean, I don't know who's going to be left alive here because we're all going to be bankrupt by the time that happens, but. You know, we, we don't know anything about this disease. We don't know if it's as serious as as it's been said. Um, we don't know. We do know that there are several treatments which have been shown to be very effective, um, intravenous vitamin C, incredibly effective, high-dose vitamin D3, very effective. Um, oxy- not oxycontin, sorry. <laughs> um, um, hydro- hydro- what is it? Hydro- hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine, possibly very effective, being shown in certain hospitals as being effective. So do we really even need a vaccine for this, let alone to be locked up in our homes until it's issued? And then once it's issued, It will be mandatory for every man, woman and their dog because now they're saying that we can get this from our animals. And uh, the saddest thing about that is many people have abandoned their pets since that information's come out um, because they're afraid of their animals now. It's The whole thing is some people just need to turn off their TVs and start thinking for themselves. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty crazy. And what you were saying about influenza, I, I haven't seen your LinkedIn post, but I saw um, a graph that was very interesting. It said, has COVID-19 cured influenza? And it showed influenza going up at the way that it normally goes up towards the winter. And then all of a sudden going, down
1: for this year what you are talking about is the all we're talking about is the all cause mortality or the, the deaths from influenza as a seasonality in the United States and it's a U shape and that was out, uh, from a study a report that was out of the Washington uh, St. Louis University and this year the influenza deaths appear to be dropping like this. So I contacted the authors, and I actually have that graph in my article on LinkedIn.
0: Good, I have to check uh, it. It's a
1: thorough treatment. And if you look, up, look me up on LinkedIn, uh, you, you'll see it there. And I'll, I'll send you the link to it. But Thank you. The, 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 this dropdown, I asked them about it because I wanted to know if they stood behind it. And they said that they wrote to CDC, and CDC said the reason why there is an apparent decrease is that we have to validate the data. We really mm-hmm. won't know how many people died until June. <gasps> That's rubbish. <Okay. laughs> it, it, it it is it is rubbish, but it also means that they expect to be able to figure out how to cook. Excuse me, how to cook the books by June. Well, in this article, while I'm saying that I'm cooking, the, that they're cooking the books, I have like twelve thousand. It's probably at twelve thousand views now in among professionals on LinkedIn. Yep this is this this is a game changer i mean the COVID 19 is obviously i think it's you brought up is it a serious disease obviously for some people it's a very mm. very serious disease though i want to help people think about it in terms of population-wide rates of death which for so far we don't know what that's going to be anywhere we can't really say what the population-wide rate of death is going to be until say a season is done right. or until the outbreak is done Uh, Or until you say, okay, over a one-year period or a five-year period, how many people in the population actually died from this? Forget that they're cooking the books. Even if they weren't cooking the books, if we had molecular-based tests for each number, uh, each person that was in the population that died from coronavirus, then we would have an accurate estimate population-wide. Then you have the case fatality rate, and that's a different statistic. And people confuse these two things. The case fatality rate is... um, if you get the infection, what's the probability that you're going to die? Right. And that's a very different thing. And so v- diabetics have about a 6.3% risk of death if you get COVID-19. Huge mortality risk for those people. And you might say, well, I'm not diabetic, but 45% of people in the United States have pre-diabetes or diabetes, a so metabolic syndrome. And so what do we do? Do we allow 6.3% or 3.3% or what, where's the cutoff on ethics so that we can all get back to work? I, I, my contention is we don't have to do this naively. Well, uh, uh, they want us to do it naively because they have to make room on the table for a vaccine. Yes. Um, and, you know, uh, what, what my, my contention is, if we do a serious, really super, super intense lockdown for two weeks, like nobody goes basically anywhere. Everybody go out shopping for three days and then come home and stop. And then we add serious intense like therapeutics. Everybody gets the education on the vitamins, everybody gets education hydro- hydroxychloroquine if you want, anything that might work that won't hurt, it, okay? And then we start independent, safe in the home testing. And I say safe because if you do point of care testing, you're going and seeing the doctor and they're infecting you or you're infecting the patient next to you. And they figured that out that you have to go with drive throughs. They do drive through testing now. And but they want to keep this point of care testing to keep the money, the revenue in the medical system, as opposed to like uh, Grace, my my fiance, his son was supposed to come visit. And he was self-quarantined for two weeks. He was working from home he called got called back into work he spends uh, uh two shifts with people at work he calls up and says mom i'm not coming because i don't know my status if he could test himself he could stick right. around for a couple of days at home and then he could test himself and see do i have igg if he doesn't have igg then he, he, he could just before he walks in the door of the house in 15 minutes a independent test he could test himself and see if he right and so This testing is for us to use the way we want to use. And the good news is that there are companies that are listening to me and they're making in-home tests. They're working towards in-home tests. 15 minutes, one blood drop so that you can know your status. I mean, it, you, no one should be able to prevent you from knowing your your current status of COVID-19. That's your
0: business. No, it's all government control. But then I want you to comment on countries like Sweden and Taiwan, which have not gone to lockdown. They're continuing with life as usual. I think in Taiwan, uh, people are wearing face masks when they go out and they have hand sanitizers everywhere. But they have not had the huge numbers of deaths um, that have been reported in other countries. So why is it that some countries can do this? And I mean, Sweden is a cold country, so it's still quite wintry there. Um, Why is it that they can do that and the United States and across Europe can't do that and Australia has to go on lockdown? Um, Why is it we've gone, what I think, over the top? with telling people for four weeks they have to stay in and there's no end in sight yet.
1: Okay, so um, first of all, I want to say, if you're scratching your head saying, why is James their health freedom advocate, talking about a total lockdown for two weeks, it's because my models show that if you have uh, 60% lockdown or 90% lockdown or 96% lockdown, this thing goes on forever and ever. It's not enough. Lockdown itself is nothing. But if you have just 60 percent lockdown and 60 percent effective therapeutics, and that means everybody gets treated and it's only 60 percent effective or only 60 percent of the people who aren't on, you know, 60 who, percent who, of the people are locked down, then this ends in three weeks. Now add to that testing. The, what's different between Taiwan, South Korea, you know, um, um, Sweden, Sweden and it, testing? Taiwan got their biomedomics testing from Korea, from South Korea. Uh, Sweden got their test from Germany. They said, yes, we'll use your test, which means that they're doing contact tracing. So the medical uh, institutions, um, the uh, public health institutions have confidence that they have control of the situation. And the people who are tested, they are obviously quarantined to see where they end up. They don't have massive testing. They have testing based on symptomology. Right. But right now, I'm saying in the United States, we have to do massive testing. It should be voluntary. It should be a private, because otherwise you're going to end up with a nanny state that's that's out of control. But Sweden, actually, there may be hell to pay in Sweden. We have yet to see that, because um, while the death rate has taken a turn in the United States and the um, – uh, R not appears to be like 1.7 or 1.6 in the United States. Death rate in Sweden is actually exponential. That doesn't mean it's huge. It means it's increasing exponentially. And it has been a very interesting experience to me talking in public spaces, talking to groups doing as uh, webinars like this, uh, that is almost impossible to get the, the common, uh, the, the uh, um, everyday person to understand what an exponential process is, and so I'd like to do this for your audience.
0: Sure.
1: Um, an exponential process. Uh, your favorite sport is is football in Australia? Australian rules football? Is that your yes.
0: Sport? Yes. Rugby. Football. Okay. Yeah. So
1: is, is that is that play? That's played on a field, right? It is. So imagine the field is. Imagine the fields in a stadium, a huge stadium that could fit fifty thousand people. Okay. If if it's in a huge stadium like that, could fit fifty thousand people and the water there's water that's filling up the stadium and say it's watertight and it's water is filling up the stadium at an exponential pace you won't notice that there's a problem right that at all until 45 minutes into it and by at 45 minutes at an exponential process maybe the top you know one two or three rows of the seats might be covered but in an exponential process by the time you realize that the last set of seats is not covered you have about five minutes to get out that's Mm -hmm. an exponential process where okay we're now we're talking about a huge volume of water coming in exponentially and 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 another way that people think about it is okay well whatever you're making right now for your income i will double it every two days if if you have some of these doubling every two days, you can't really fathom what does that mean. But if I'm going to if I'm going to double the money you make every two days, pretty quickly, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> that sounds good, right? Let's talk about money. People get math a little bit better. Yeah. So In reality, part of the problem is. That uh, CDC was asleep at the wheel. There's no doubt about it. But also the public's response and reaction to my urgent calls in January to use the Ebola fist bump, right? To not to wipe down surfaces in public. If you use, you know, anything in public like the uh, the keypad at, at the grocery store, yeah, okay, that sounds nice. But how about when you're at the restaurant and you wipe down menus, you wipe down the condiments because you might be infecting somebody? Okay. In an exponential process, if my information spread exponentially, we might have had a chance where we could have slowed it down. If CDC did testing, they would have prevented a massive explosion. We have a massive explosion. It's out of control. And it's all it's all the number one factor is the difference in testing. But Sweden is also telling people if you have any symptoms at all that are consistent, if you have a cold or a fever, stay home.
0: Yes. Well, that's common sense. That's just common it is, sense.
1: It, it, is, it is now, hmm. but right. Remember, three weeks ago, it wasn't common sense. If you have a cold, people would kind of be a little dodgy about it. They might, you know, I, but I feel okay. They would rationalize, <laughs> and, and you know, and, and how many times, you know, have you gone to a birthday party because you felt compelled to go to the birthday party, even though you didn't really feel quite, or you know? So now there's a, there should be a new culture of real respect, true respect for the fact that you're carrying a potentially deadly infectious disease. Yes. And I know there's a lot of people that are thinking that this is absolutely nothing. That this is just the same thing as any coronavirus that we've ever had. But I've done the molecular studies on this thing, and I've looked at this, the way that it works. I've looked at, um, you know, the phylogenetics, and I can. I'm not going to get into the bioweapon. I've ruled out bioweapon. I've ruled out that it's it's not made in a lab. You can go to IPAknowledge.org and you could download the report there. Um, but. It is serious because this, this virus, I have a peer-reviewed publication that was just accepted. It's going to come out in the Journal of Translational Autoimmunity. This virus has um, a, a huge number of proteins that have subsets of the proteins that match human proteins. And so I think there's something like 21 immunogenic protein parts in the viral um, proteome that would induce an immune response so what that means is there's uh, of all the proteins that are there that can that can be detected from in the in the virus there are subsets of those proteins that will cause an immune reaction why do we know this because we know how to choose them so we can make vaccines right we want to know which proteins we want to include in a vaccine of those um, now there, there's only one that doesn't have a match to a human protein and if you have a immunogenic protein that's gonna cause an immune response in a virus or another pathogen or in a vaccine for that matter. And that, and that protein or protein similar to it in shape is found in a human protein. You could develop autoimmunity in the tissues that express that protein. Let me ask you problem- a question
0: if I can. You said there are sure. 21 proteins in this that match or very close to matching human proteins in let's say a flu virus. How many proteins would match do the same thing? What is what is well, average? Well, that's
1: I, I don't I don't I, I have to say I don't know that because I haven't done I haven't done that analysis okay. extensively throughout. But 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 Darla, uh, Darla, Darla Darja Kanduk is famous for doing these kind, uh, kinds of analysis, and she found that every pathogen on the planet that we have protein sequences for. Every protein from every pathogen has a match if you go down to the small, size of, small of, a, of a hexamer, that's six amino acids. But I'm talking about much larger stretches of matches and much higher um, um, similarity. The real problem that I see with this is that there's extensive homology distributed throughout these proteins. That sim- the sequence similarity is homology. Um, and more importantly, a third of them are human immune system proteins that are targeted. So we could be looking at a virus by virtue of uh, infection that it could impair your immune system if you're exposed to the virus again, right? either through another infection or through a vaccine. Now flip that around, take the virus, put it in a vaccine, inject it into someone, and then they get exposed to the virus. That's been called disease enhancement. It's been called immune enhancement, and it's not immune enhancement. Immune enhancement is something like, okay, take your vitamin C and get some sunshine, right? <laughs> this immune enhancement that we hear about is a bad thing because it caused the mice in the animal studies, uh, in the SARS and in the MERS uh, vaccine trials, to do, f- to have, to experience much more severe disease, uh, more severe immunopathology. Uh, and, and 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 you're looking at a, a, a family of viruses that if you try to make a vaccine for it and you inject it into people, we have every reason to expect that if they do get infected with the virus, they're going to have high, a much higher mortality than if they didn't, if they weren't vaccinated and they were infected with the virus. And that's why, why the can, SARS
0: vaccine was never finished because they found exactly that same situation and they have found that with influenza vaccines that it's actually doing the same thing as far as coronavirus goes that it is causing this immune enhancement this negative immune enhancement um and also increasing susceptibility for further infection so right.
1: so what you're talking about there is something that's slightly different the ben Colling has a study and there's that uh, um Ben Colling out of Hong Kong has a study that shows that if you're vaccinated against influenza you're more likely to have non-respiratory virus Mm -hmm. infections and I started sharing that study out pretty heavily a couple of years ago and I've been in contact with Dr. Colling to make sure that I have the appropriate interpretation of his study Um, and he did not find an increased risk of coronavirus infection the p-value was not significant but if you combine all the other respiratory viruses if you get the flu shot um, and the, 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 the flu shot that they used in that study or they looked at in that study was Vaxagrip and Vaxagrip comes in multi-dose vials or in single dose vials. So it could be. Uh, oh, sorry. So the, the uh, Department of Defense study that you're talking about, yes. they, they cited something that um, was viral interference. And you cannot tell mechanism of disease from an epidemiological perspective. So they they, ha- they shouldn't be talking about specific mechanisms unless they tested that. And in that study, they didn't test that it was viral interference. It could very well be the thimerosal in 80% of the flu shots that are causing impairment of the immune system because thimerosal inhibits a protein called ERAP1. And ERAP1 is a required protein for properly folding your immune system Proteins, so you remember what you're immune to. So the flu shot might be making us forget what we're immune to. So mm-hmm. it's possible that a lot of these, uh, the severity of COVID-19 might be because of uh, past flu shots. But it's not viral interference. It's uh, you know, it's it's uh, possible that it's uh, autoimmune impairment it, through the flu shot, and that's what I think that it most more likely is. The viral interference uh, really doesn't seem to work that way because we can get plenty of different kinds of infections once in a row and our immune system. If we get them, you know, multiple, multiple um, infections in a given year, our immune system can is flexible enough and adaptive enough to shift gears and go one after the other after the other. And so viral interference doesn't really make much sense to me. The the, the chemical damage from a thimerosal to our immune system makes a great deal of sense to me. Uh, Now the the, the, um, immune enhancement has been recast by IPAC of the Institute for Pure and Applied Knowledge, in this paper, but where we show the high homology, we show that it likely is an autoimmune condition where the, the virus sticks around so long in your body it has plenty of time to cause autoimmunity, um, that um, we call it pathogenic priming. And I said that earlier, but yeah. it's worth repeating. So if everybody looks at pathogenic priming as a launch pad by which we're going to understand the pathogenesis, the disease-causing parts of other viruses or the disease causing aspects of vaccines against it is immune enhancement is a euphemism it's double speak and and so if it does if a virus act, or sorry if a vaccine in, enhances the disease it's pathogenic priming it puts the causal focus on the vaccine not on the secondary exposure it's path you're you're primed by the by the vaccine to to have more severe disease
0: but can't you say that about any vaccine because all vaccines contain products that can mimic what we have i mean there's the uh, uh the myelin sheath and there are vaccines that contain um myelin basic proteins that that can actually cause our body to attack our own myelin, would that be a sort of pathogenic, um, sorry, priming? I was just trying to get that word down, pathogenic priming.
1: A hundred percent. In fact, in the paper, I cite the uh, orexin receptor target that the um, the flu vaccine in Europe caused narcolepsy by people developing autoimmunity. So it's to me, it's a two-hit hypothesis where... You know, you get the vaccine and you you develop the antibodies and the immune response to antibodies, and then the virus comes along, you get an infection, you may or may not even get sick, but then your immune system mounts a a misguided attack against its own cells. And the the, the difference is that with COVID-19, I think that the infection lasts so long you have the four to five day symptomatic period. Then you have the six period, the sick period, from the time you get the time that you get sick until the time you go to the hospital could be 13 to 18 days, right? And then after that, the virus is still in your body and you're spreading it by feces. Under some reports, up to 18 days. This virus is a long infection, so that long infection gives it plenty of time. Uh, for the immune system to um, maladapt itself uh, and potentially become uh, autoimmunogenic. And yeah, no, the difference is that it happens, and I said it's a long infection, but it happens in, kind of in one shot if during the infection. I think the pathogenesis of this virus, it is scary to think about it, that we might become primed by the infection or the injection. This is a virus, I'm afraid that I, I would not want to have this infection. I may have already had the infection because I was sick back in uh, January to February after visiting Seattle, and I was sick for a very long time. Um, and if I had the infection, then I would ex- expect if I get infected again, that it might be a problem for me. So uh, I hope I'm wrong that it's only through the injection of an adjuvanted vaccine that you're likely to experience pathogenic priming. Mm. But I, I think we need to, you know, we need to find out. We need animal studies, right, where we go, OK, we're going to infect a mouse, right, or a rat. No, we with skip the virus. that. We
0: skipped that completely. Well,
1: I'm talking I'm just talking about pathogenesis of <laughs> okay. the disease. Right. Infect mice with the, with the SARS-CoV-2, infect them, not inject them, infect them and then let them uh, recover and then infect them again. If we see pathogenic priming there, this is this is a, a nightmare scenario for humanity, and, and I, don't, I don't want to scare anybody. I don't want people to think that pathogens are our enemies or any of that, but. I'm an evolutionary biologist, and in, in, in reality, there's euphemisms that are going around saying there's 10,000 pathogens in the dirt, and it's good to activate your immune system and all that. That may be true, but that's after five million years of human evolution, and how many of our ancestors couldn't handle the E. coli that you need right now. The evolution causes the, it's, uh, the endosymbiosis. E- evolution brings this about, this, this balance of nature that we think is a balance. In reality, on the initial onset, there are viruses that completely have wiped out species on this planet completely they're gone they're extinct because of a virus and so this may be one of those that we have to take more seriously and we're certainly bungling our response and so you know uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to say my best understanding of how we should proceed lockdown for just a couple of weeks combined with intense therapeutic to get the vir- as much of the virus out of our systems as possible, right? Followed up with testing so we can start contact tracing in the United States. This might not be the right recipe for other countries. Other countries may have it under control enough where they don't have to do this. But the United States is committing economic suicide. There's no doubt about it. And, yes. and it's it's not. we're not going to so wait around Australia. for a vaccine. They're- people are australia too yeah. yeah people are not here are people here are not going to wait around for the government to say okay 18 months have gone by come roll up your sleeve we're just going to get back to work there's going to be not mass protests there's going to be mass telling the government to go to you know where and, and just go back to work
0: absolutely the people
1: are just going to ignore it because they can't arrest a bill you know uh, 250 thousand uh, 250 million people they, they, they can't do that. I'm not calling for that, for the record. I'm not calling for that level of insurrection. <laughs> but that's what's going to happen. Well, so I, I we hope have... it
0: does happen. I really do. Tomorrow in Australia, the next day in the United States, is a day for people to get out of their houses and protest against the lockdown. And I, I, I feel like, you know, it is time for civil disobedience because the government is actually um, being so tyrannical um, I mean, Adolf Hitler would have been proud of what our governments are doing right now. It is beyond belief. There's something else. I just want to go back to what you were talking about before because it let, just. Let, 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 sorry, you go let ahead. Let me hang on that. You go let ahead. Let me hang
1: on that for a minute. Yep. So it, it makes us feel really good and powerful. And I'm not belittling in any position whatsoever, Merrill. I agree with you that Adolf Hitler would be very, very proud if this was an engineered social event, right? If this adolf hitler i think in in nazi germany this virus wouldn't have had a chance this virus never would have gotten anywhere everybody would have been tested two days later (laughs) and the people who were infectious would have been on lockdown or or killed permanently right okay so let's let's really make a distinction between what these what these inept profit motivated you know, fascist Fascism is not Nazi fascism, right? The, the American style fascism of the corporations running the government. Let's wait a week and figure out how we can make the most money off of this. Mm. That's what they did. Yep. That's not. That's not Hitler. Hitler would be disgusted by that. And I'm not. I'm not advocating for Hitler by any means. What I'm saying is, it would be a very different story. And 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 it makes us. It makes us feel good to say those bad guys did this, but in reality, uh, they did it out of corruption. They did it out of incompetence, and they did—I I don't think that there's—that's enough to explain all of what happened. And what I want to say about this mass resistance of civil disobedience, that in and of itself is an uncontrolled social experiment in this setting. And the, by the, what's the blowback of from the government? I'm not saying be afraid, but what's the blowback from the government as opposed to getting behind, like, the IPAC back-to-work plan, which says we want private— now pause on that moment, private, say it in your head, private (laughs) testing, yours, not mine, not the government, private testing. And we want it to be cheap and we want to test as often as as we, and so therefore, when I decide that I'm going to leave the house, I am pretty sure I don't have an active infection. That's not draconian. That's rational. And so I'm arguing for reason on the part of the government and I'm arguing for reason on the part of the people. The problem is people have to understand in the parable where the boy crawled, cried wolf, right? And that's what's happened here. There've been so many lies we've yes. had, right? Lies about Ebola. You can't Ebola, trust them. Lies about Zika, lies and lies and lies about autism. But people have to remember in the parable of the boy crawled wolf There was a wolf. There finally was a real wolf. And we're not really learning the lesson about the boy cried wolf if we act this way as if we know that it's fake. We don't know that it's fake. And I don't know that it's fake. What I would like to do is I would like to argue for rational measured responses on our part where we take control of the situation. We I'm advising companies, I have a call in two days with the COO of a company who didn't know me from Adam last week, but likes the idea of private testing in the home. And they're going to reconfigure their tests to go back to the FDA. Right. And so if you start advocating for and demanding private in home testing, where the government doesn't know even know you're testing, you go to the drugstore and pick it up. The government doesn't know that you you individually bought that or they shouldn't know that. And then you make your decisions rationally about whether you're going to visit grandma or grandpa or whether you're going to let somebody come over to your house. This is a social level of social responsibility where you, I'm betting on the goodness of humanity. Yeah. yeah, there's going to be jokers out there that are going to blow it off and never test. Oh, look at those suckers. They're spending $10 on a test, right? There's going to be bad actors like that. But I believe in the goodness of humanity to really step up to the plate and say, I don't want my diabetic friends to die. No. Right?
0: That's it. I, you know, you, you're you've you've been doing a study comparing the health of the vaccinated with the unvaccinated and I'm wondering, you talk about the wolf, is the wolf more dangerous to the cohort of humanity that has been vaccinated than it is to the cohort that has complete immune systems that have not been interfered with through vaccines. That's another question that I think a lot of people have because, you know, we see that the health of the unvaccinated and we've seen this, we've done um, surveys amongst our membership for 20 years now, um, the health of the unvaccinated is so far superior to the health of the vaccinated. So are we seeing that this situation is so much more dangerous because we have so many more people who've been fully vaccinated than we would have had 20 or 30 years ago, when we weren't pushing 72 vaccines by the time a child started school? Just putting that out there as a possibility.
1: Oh, right, right. So the way the way you phrase the question is hard to answer, uh, in, in 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 all honesty, because um, presuming that. Presuming that measles was, in the say, in the United States, there were 450 to 500 deaths per 180 million people before there was a vaccine, is a minor threat. Okay, so let's presume that that's true. Okay, then you know we're talking about morbidity versus deaths and right, the morbidity and there are deaths from vaccines, there's no doubt about it. Mm. But the majority of this, it's, it's a weird convert. It's a weird comparison. And I'm not hedging, I have a def- definite answer on this. In the study that we did with uh, we're doing with Paul Thomas's data from his his uh, practice in in, to- in 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 Oregon, uh, I'm finding like 55 fold increase of ADHD in the most vaccinated compared to unvaccinated. And that's just one of the health outcomes. And the most vaccinated person in that study had declined something like 47 vaccines. Wow. So we're no, we're, all right, this study is a very interesting study. And the way that I set it up is to look at the, um, say, 700 or so that are completely unvaccinated and to look at the 50th percentile of vaccine uptake, the 40th percentile, the 30th percentile, the 20th percentile, the 10th and the 5th percentile. So the 10 and 5th percentile being the most vaccinated, those most vaccinated are still highly unvaccinated compared to the CDC schedule. Right. And this is over 10 years. We've, we've been very careful to, to do blocked analysis where we look at just the young people in the study and the old people in the study, and we look at vaccinated young versus vaccinated, you know, young, uh, unvaccinated young, and we look at vaccinated older versus unvaccinated older, so it's not an age cohort effect. Um, that's just one outcome. We have so many outcomes, and some of them are really surprising. Uh, of course, uh, you know, when we get to the neurodevelopmental disorders, it's a great exercise in trying to understand why we may or may not find something in a particular practice. Paul Thomas is a very ethical physician, and if your child has had a seizure, he doesn't tell you to stop vaccinating. He says, you might want to look at the contraindications of vaccines again, mm. right? If, if you have a delay in social development or a delay in language development in your child, you have a, um, some kind of a repetitive motion disorder, or your child develops a tick, he'll point you to the scientific studies that he knows of and say, he'll say, you want to take a look at this and then come back, we'll talk about vaccines next week. For most parents, that's going to be reason enough to stop vaccinating their child or at least pausing for a moment. And therefore, the vaccinated often don't have those conditions in Paul's study, in, in Paul's data. They're protected by Paul. I call it the Paul effect. He's an ethical <laughs> physician. And and so this is a bit of like related to the healthy user bias, but it's actually the signal that we're, that we're detecting. And so for the neurodevelopmental disorders, there seems to be a a counterintuitive thing, but there's a trade off between autism and the other neurodevelopmental disorders, because the more vaccinated you are, the more likely to hard to have autism, but only at the more like, it's a nonlinear effect in the data. And but what happens to social developmental disorders and learning disorders is that they take a nosedive to zero. Because those people that get those that have those disorders, they don't get the diagnosis of autism as well. So this is a three hundred and sixty degree view on the data that, that we have. And when we get to publishing this, it's going to be a bombshell, because I've done the analysis so carefully that and so thoroughly that we can actually calculate what percentage of cases uh, could have been prevented of ADHD, of other you know anemia, other things that we're finding. Um, eczema, urticaria, all of these conditions that we, you know, suspect are autoimmune, we can calculate, given the differences in the vaccinated versus unvaccinated, what percentage of these cases could be prevented, and therefore what cost to society in terms of treatment of all these cases. And it's a gross underestimate because the most vaccinated kid has skipped 47 vaccines.
0: It's interesting, James. We have a a database in Australia, used to be called the Australian Childhood Immunization Database, started in 1998. It's now the Australian immunization database because it includes adults as well. Now we have socialized medicine in this country. So everyone has a Medicare card and everyone has a Medicare number. And what they've done with this database is they have linked your vaccination status with your diagnoses. So if you are unvaccinated, you're still on the database because you still have a Medicare card. Um, So we have potentially tens of millions of people, maybe even hundreds of millions over this period, I don't know, who are on this database. And we have been asking the government to do that study. All of this information is totally de-identified. There is no privacy concern whatsoever. We've been asking them to do the study. You have the cohort that's fully vaccinated, partially vaccinated, completely unvaccinated. Look at the coding for autism diabetes cancer all sure. these things in each cohort and they've refused to do that what we really need is a good scientist who can write a proposal to give to the australian government to say can i please get access to this data you wouldn't happen to know anyone like that would you <laughs> <laughs> when we
1: when we publish this study <laughs> it will form a background of a, a skeleton a, 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 you know a foundation upon which many other studies Uh, are, are going to be launched because it shows the path of how to do it objectively. The CDC actually does all of their studies wrong. They do it where they say you have to correct for other factors that might explain, say, autism or ADHD. And in doing that, they're actually assuming the functional relation, a particular set of functional relationships among the variables. And they have published a white paper um, uh, on their website that says, "This is how you do epidemiology on vaccines." There's no other other part of medicine that uses this particular form of epidemiology where you correct for or you, re- you remove patients like that have seizure if you 're studying autism. right? We know that the very biological pathways that are involved in autism and seizure disorder overlap. So you're literally removing the people that are maybe it at, at risk. And and the best example of this, of course, is the Verstraten study where they, you know, uh, in the VSD study that they did with Thomas Verstraten, giving the presentation at Simpsonwood, they said, Look, this is a linear relationship, there's a problem here, we have more autism, the more vaccines you take up, like the analysis that I did. And then they spent four years trying to cook the cook the data. And this is where the, email came that said it just won't go away First, straight and had written to cdc frank DeStefano, stefano saying in the name of god and all things holy and objectivity and science please let's publish this i can't make it go away no matter what i do now how did they finally make it go away they corrected for mother's age cor- corrected for mother's income they corrected for gestational age they corrected for birth weight all of these things are covariates that are related to each other, so they kept extracting risk factor after risk factor after risk factor out, leaving only behind the healthy people uh, that weren't going to develop autism in any way, uh, whether there was a vaccine or not. And, and by doing that, they actually cooked the data to death, and it's, not, it's no longer science. They're they're putting so much bias in in their studies. I can't see it as anything other than outright fraud. Because they analyzed the data once and they looked at the result. They didn't like it. And then they changed their design and they looked at it again. They didn't like it. They changed their design. Colin Boyle did this uh, with Frank DiStefano Stefano in the Williams in the study in the De Stefano at all MMR mm-hmm. on time study that with Vaxed movie is all about. Yeah. Um, this is their M O to a T. And now we see Bill Gates proposing that they do a vaccine study without doing animal studies on coronavirus vaccine on healthy people.
0: They're already doing that. They're already doing on, that.
1: On healthy people. Formerly
0: well, the, the, healthy the, people.
1: On <laughs> healthy people is the point. Why just healthy people? It's not healthy people that get that suffer this the this, this serious illness. Mm-hmm. We know that they have mild, right? But remember that he's only using vitamin C, right, so, uh, in the chloroquine study as the placebo. There's that's another way to cook it where you don't have a valid control.
0: That's right. You don't have
1: a valid placebo. uh, So you don't have a valid control group. Vitamin C is a powerful antioxidant. It's very good in in, in reducing the severity of viral illness. Vitamin C. So they can go and everybody knows vitamin C is just a phony thing. It doesn't work. So hydroxychloroquine doesn't work. That to me is medical fraud. Bill Gates is committing medical fraud. By, by conducting uh, that study, by funding that study, by backing that study, he knows that he should use a sugar pill. He knows it. And by committing medical fraud, it's tantamount to crimes against humanity. But he's done that before with his tired. polio,
0: with his polio vaccine, with the, with the Gardasil vaccine. He's done this before. He's got form. And no vaccine studies use a true placebo, an inert placebo. They they say that it's unethical to do that. So science right. is broken, to quote your program. Science That's is right. fatally flawed, and it's not even science anymore. It's something marketing crossed with science more than anything else. I, I call else. it
1: science-like activities.
0: <laughs> like That's the, the term. Influenza-like illness, science-
1: yeah. <laughs> science-like activities, because people say science is broken and this is an interesting thing. I have, If you go to unbreakingscience.com, there's three boot camp episodes on my podcast. There's, they're meant to be watched by people who really want to understand where I'm coming from. Science is not broken. Science is fine. It's people that are parading science around, mm-hmm. uh, pseudoscience, fake science, science-like activities, like science. People who are corrupt doing science are not scientists. They're criminals. Let's Let's call them who they are. Uh, that's not science, and science has a stain that it doesn't deserve. Science is a way of knowing things through objectivity. Um, and so please, you know, for those of us, th- th- for science scientists like, 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 like myself, who have never cheated or cooked the books on any study I've ever been on, it, it's really hurtful for people to be angry at science and to not trust scientists writ large. Uh, because a handful of criminals have control of our government, and that's the problem. They, we, people hang their flag upside down in the United States as a symbol that the government is 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 uh, is infected. That 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 there's an attack on the um, that they're under attack, and and we have um, moneyed interests, pharmaceutical interests, have invaded and and um, uh, captured. They have captured the regulatory agencies, whether it's the EPA or the FDA or the CDC. To the point where this po- the, the, the U.S. population absolutely distrusts them, and it's a form of fascism. It's not capitalism. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we're not going to sit back and go, "Well, capitalism isn't isn't working." When well, the problem why it's not working is because people are ch- cooking the books. That's not capitalism. That's fraud. So you know, well, let, let's take is. a look at it from the perspective that science still has a, a role to play. Real science still has a role to play after all of the United States, all of the world's population wakes up to these crimes against humanity.
0: Are you okay to take a couple of questions from the people who are commenting here?
1: Okay, I'd be happy to. Uh,
0: Thank you. We've got one here from Deborah. Why is Bill Gates allowed to do anything with vaccines?
1: It's, it's just the common currency. It's just money. That's all. I mean, he's got money, and he's, he's, he's bought his way into so many different things uh, with politicians. And, you know, uh, I want to say it here for the first time in public, I had this conversation earlier with someone, you know, Bill Gates may be a smart person in terms of strategy and how to, you know, steal things from people, like he did with the operating system from Xerox. He may be smart. But in terms of them having access to his wallet. He's a useful idiot. He's really, really useful to them because he probably has psychologically this unresolved way of trying to prove himself. He didn't get a high school degree. I understand he he didn't really prove himself on his own merit. And so psychologically, this man must have a really dark place where he knows that he defrauded all of the world. And so now he, he wants to write his legacy as the man who saved the world and so when they when the the world's quote-unquote most respected most revered uh, uh religious leaders in the church of vaccinology you know the most revered scientists the medical physicians are telling him that the vaccines are the solution how does he have a background to question that it's a great question and what it is is an overblown sense of importance an overblown sense of ego where because he's Bill Gates, he must be right. And and this this is a very dangerous person, very dangerous person right now.
0: Yep. It reminds me of that song from Fiddler on the Roof, If I Were a Rich Man. And he says, you know, when you're rich, people think you really know. And that's exactly what it is. He's all of a sudden become the world authority on vaccination simply because he's one of the richest men in the world. Um, people have asked your home testing Kit, that you're talking about, does that test for antibodies?
1: Yeah, it's antibody-based. Thanks for asking that. I I wasn't clear about that. There's two types of antibodies that we're mostly interested in, and it's not my test. I don't have any financial interest in this whatsoever. I simply see it as a pathway forward that's rational. Um, Any company's antibodies... Uh, test that is validated and tested is shown to be accurate since highly sensitive highly specific I still can't find any accuracy measures on the CDC's RT-PCR test I, I still don't know what the accuracy That's is insane. if anybody has seen it, please send it to me. I'm serious about this, but nevertheless um, the IgG antibody uh, tells you um, if you have immunity allegedly Okay, so we don't know with this virus like we don't know with any new virus. Right. Do we know that people are dropping dead after a second infection? No, we don't. We don't see that. We see a rare circumstances where somebody got reinfected and it was worse. That's what makes me concerned about pathogenic priming. But look at all the hundreds of thousands of cases we've had around the world and the people have recovered. And many, many, many of them must have been reinfected. So I think it's safe to assume that you're probably going to be immune to this particular strain. Next year, you might get a really, really bad case of COVID-19 or COVID-20, you know, whatever they're going to call it, uh, if you get another strain of it. But for the time being, the IgG antibody tells you that you've, you've had it and you're likely immune. The IgM tells you you have a new infection. Okay, that means it's a recent infection, you're probably uh, susceptible uh, a a carrier or susceptible to spreading it. And yeah, there's there's one company, Vibrant something out of California, that has a test that's antibody based and they use, I think, seven different biomarkers. And individually, the biomarkers don't really work well, but you put them together, you have 99 percent sensitivity, 99 percent specificity. And you have not over 95% reproducibility. In other words, if two different people use their test on the same sample, they come to the same result. So we're getting there. And um, I'm speaking with them about um, having them reformat it into a, a home-based test right. that's private. With a capital P, a capital R, a capital I, a capital V. Private means private. Go to Facebook. This is fun. Go to Facebook and look up. Hashtag private means private. You'll see what I've been dealing with. It's it's, it's, it's incredible to that look people that don't up. trust. There's a loss of trust even for one of their own brethren because I'm a scientist. And I say, listen, guys, I don't have any financial conflict of interest here. I want you to know your immunity status like I want to know mine. I want you to want to know your immunity status, and that's all I want. I don't want you to submit it to the government. I don't want you to have to do it. I want you to want to do it because if you don't know your immunity status, how can you make a decision about what you're going to do if there's no restrictions? So Take the restrictions in your mind. Take the restrictions away. Now you're free to go. Okay, are you immune? Do you know if you're immune? I don't know. Uh, Have you been exposed and are you carrying? I don't know. So those are two pieces of information that any responsible adult would want to know.
0: Somebody else asked a very good question. The World Health Organization report I saw said 104 different strains of COVID-19. How do they make a vaccine with those numbers? And also, how do you make a test with, the, with, the, with it constantly mutating in such a rapid rate? Um
1: Sure. Absolutely. So it's really testing, I think, is easier than the vaccine and in, 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 in testing for for drug testing, for instance, there's a, a cup that you can urinate in. And just by urinating in it, there's rings around it that will activate if you have a, a, a particular drug in your urine. OK, so it's very straight. It's a that's that's technology. Yeah, that's not right. And we can change those antibody tests very quickly. We can update them on the basis of the shape of the protein. Um, and put them into mass production surprisingly fast uh, because of things like drug testing. The, all, all of the impediments to mass production are, are, are blown out. And you're not doing something to someone's body. You're just testing. You're not injecting. You're not taking a drug. And so the regulation is completely different. But with the, with the, with the vaccines, um, it's an excellent question. Uh, the, 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 the hope, of course, is that, that and it's not my hope, but the,
0: but
1: the, the, <laughs> the hope is that, that that there would be a vaccine that they could update regularly, and that's the mRNA vaccine. The mRNA vaccine, they can update it in real time as they're producing it on the, through mass production. They can actually reprogram what they're putting into the wild. So if they get a call and they say, okay, we need this number for this strain, we need this number for that strain, they can actually tailor it pretty quickly. The, no, am I advocating for that? By no means am I advocating for that. But the study that I have in the Journal of Translational um, Autoimmunity actually publishes the epitopes that are immunogenic, not so that they know which ones, they could do this analysis on their own, but it publishes the ones that are immunogenic and it publishes the specific parts of the protein that they should exclude from vaccines because it will likely cause autoimmunity. And I did this with zika as well. So when zika when when Tom, when not Tom Frieden but um, when Tony Fauci said um listen we're going to we're going to pub- we're going to have a vaccine for zika in about um 4 weeks. Uh I did this analysis and I found the parts of the protein that would cause autoimmunity to brain proteins and I said I wrote to him I've never spoken to the man, this is my first time writing to him, I think. I might have written some nastygrams or something previous, but I said to him, listen, please tell the people that are making Zika vaccines that if they include these parts of these proteins, they might cause autoimmune encephalopathy. And that could cause neurodevelopmental disorders, especially if you use them in pregnant women, which you know they're gonna try to vaccinate pregnant women. And this is after I had actually tracked down the cause of the microcephaly in Brazil. It wasn't caused by Zika. It was caused by experimentation using, um, and I did this by interviewing the people that were doing the study. Um, they, they, they were testing um, whole-cell pertussis vaccine in the slums of Brazil where the microcephaly took place. Did
0: they this give it to by, pregnant women?
1: Yeah, yeah. they did. It, they gave it to pregnant women. Uh, and they, they developed microcephaly and they said, well, we have to blame it on something. It turned out that the, the microcephaly increase started when they started the uh, mandatory vaccination program with the Stork program. And then they started that before the virus made it to the continent. I mean, a couple of years before the virus made it to Brazil. And so we know what caused the microcephaly. And then the next year, 2016, there was still a there. This, Zika has a seasonality with the with the mosquitoes. Well, the seasonality came up and and seasonality went down. The Zika infections raged through the population. There was no microcephaly because they had stopped the, so it was an excuse. So I I knew that they were defrauding the public on that. And I wrote to Tony Fauci and I said, listen, if you include these proteins, you're gonna cause uh, autoimmune encephalopathy and it's going to be due to the vaccine three days after he received that message he made another broadcast on the news and he said i need eight more months for the vaccine so i may have prevented with this vaccine with one letter and that's what i want everybody to understand your voice matters Mm -hmm. i have the technical skills i have the resume but your voice matters If you do it in a manner in which you're trying to protect other people, if you're saying, I'm mad at you and I'm going to blame you and you're doing this and you're a bad person and you're putting people down, they're not going to listen to you. But if you say to them, listen, you're about to do something that's really stupid. Right. And, And this is the critical piece of information. Now, I would like it if Tony Fauci wrote back to me and said, Dr. Lyonsweiler, thank you. He was very, very generous of you to share this. And, you know, I know you're not going to expect anything. You know, you're, you're no quid pro quo, right? There's no <laughs> money coming to you. Uh, but I didn't hear a peep from Tony Fauci. I didn't get a thank you, a card, nothing. And, you know, it's, it's I'm fine with that. Cross him
0: me. off the Christmas list. That's it. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, so that's... Um pretty incredible and, and i want to talk to you about that i don't know if we've covered everything that we were going to cover about COVID 19 and if we haven't i apologize everybody here is making comments i don't think you can see the comments on your end they want you back again i want you back again too but sure. um we were talking before the show started about what you were just saying the importance about taking action and why we need to take action Um, So if you want to go into that a little bit, uh, that would be great.
1: Sure, absolutely. So uh, I want to address this to all of the vaccine risk-aware movement, but especially the people of Australia, who I think are among the most oppressed people uh, on the planet when it comes to the vaccine and and health freedom issues. And I want to do it with a, a great deal of respect. And I want to point to the fact that you know, in 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 North America, we have aboriginal peoples the the, the first Americans, we call them in Canada, uh, the, the Native Americans who are um, a defeated peoples, I had a wonderful flight uh, on an airplane when I was a graduate school with a Navajo Indian chief, and we spoke for hours. And Um, I asked him about, you know, what is it like to and he said, well, what do you think it would be like if you were defeated peoples, they recognize it, they address it, and they talk about it in those terms. And he I said, Well, no, I I can imagine what it would be like, well, what's it like, he says, every time a a good Indian tries to stand up and do something that's helpful for the community, there are other Indians that hold him back because they tried it and it didn't work or their father tried it and it didn't work. And the white man's too powerful. The US government's too powerful. And this type of self reinforcement of defeat is something that happens in abusive relationships. If there's a, a wife who is being abused by their husband or a boyfriend, a woman's being abused. by. I've seen it where, where you know, they, they, they someone will come to them and say, well, why don't you do this? Or why don't you do that? Or, well, then he'll just do this. Or he'll just do that. And what they're doing is they're actually doing the job of their abuser. And I want to encourage people to understand that it's not anything special about vaccines. This is human nature. This is something that we all are susceptible to, um, including African-Americans in the United States, especially in the 80s and 90s, uh, in early 2000, and probably in many parts of the country where we are still here, where if they try to become educated, they they try to better themselves through uh, erudite and scholarly initiatives, they're trying to be white. And so their community culturally reinforces them to not achieve. And the way that this manifests in terms of vaccine risk awareness is this kind of attitude where, well, listen, guys, I think what we ought to do is this or I'm going to try that and you try an initiative. You really have to take a 180-degree turn on your instincts, even if you've seen other people do it. And Marilyn, you've been at this for a long, long time. You've probably seen every trick in the book. Um, a lot of them. I've some new ones. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've got some new ones. Did you see me singing to the CBC? I was my, you know, I was, I was singing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, go I missed to w, that. Go to WWDNYK, and I, I got back to the CDC by singing to them. Yeah, I've been, <laughs> I'm not going to. You that crap. do what I so tell point, you,
0: or I'm going to do that again.
1: <laughs> exactly. My my point is that you have to kind of visually, you've you know, visualize yourself taking the mantle of failure off of another person and putting it on somebody who's trying to, in spite of that past failure. And oftentimes, the people that don't know that they that they will fail are the ones that succeed. And so, I would encourage everyone to when they when they are in conversations to be metacognitive i want you to practice thinking about how you're thinking so that when somebody is saying something or trying something you have to force yourself not to say something negative you have to force yourself to if you want to say something negative just hold your tongue for a moment pause and reflect and even if it hurts say the opposite and see what happens, it's like magic. It really is like magic when you say, well, what can I do to help? As opposed to, the only reason why that won't work is because they don't want that to happen. That happens all the time, it's self-defeating, and um, it is, uh, what I, my message tonight is that free people free themselves. And if you wanna be free of medical mandates, if you wanna be free of vaccine uh, forced vaccine in Australia, in uh, Romania in wherever you are it is up to the people to free themselves and it starts by saying yes it starts by knowing that if you are working together and you say i can do this because i'm doing it with you right not better than you or different from you i'm doing it with you and that that togetherness is the only way out of this mess and COVID-19 I think is shedding so many bright lights on the flaws of the system. There's gonna be this massive influx of people that are vaccine risk aware, especially, God forbid, that they put out a vaccine that hasn't been tested at the animals, and on animals, and it does induce pathogenic priming in, in hundreds of thousands of people. Um, let's be rational, let's be responsible, let's call for the tools that we need to make our own medical decisions. And that and it's up to you. It's entirely up to you. People challenge me, okay, this is great, Jack, but what about this? And my answer is, well, that's up to you. How are you going to communicate that to your legislator that that's what you want? If you live in a representative uh, government, a country that has a representative government, some kind of democracy, a, 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 a true democracy or a, a Republican democracy, use your voice. It's your responsibility to self govern. And that doesn't mean put the brakes on. Sometimes it means to be progressive. And what I'm asking for is a moment for us to just relax about what IPAC is, what I am, for just a moment and say, what if I could test myself right now with a test and nobody knew the result of me? Would I do that? And then ask yourself, why don't I have that ability right now? And then fix that. It's your responsibility to do those three things. Ask yourself, what would you do if you knew your COVID-19 status? Ask yourself, why don't you have it? What are the rules that are stopping you from having it? In the United States, you can't test asymptomatic people. That's that's that We're working on changing that. And then say, all right, what do I have to do to change that? And then do that.
0: Here in Australia, one of the big issues that we've got right now is that anyone who is in an aged care facility, anyone who has a loved one in aged care, anyone who works in aged care, the government has made a rule that starting on the 1st of May, you are no longer allowed to visit that person. You are no longer allowed to live in that facility. You are no longer allowed to work in that facility unless you receive a flu vaccine. Because of COVID-19, they're saying, they are saying that it is to reduce the risk of COVID-19 infections. Everybody needs to get a flu vaccine. And what we're getting contacted, I don't know, 20, 30 times a day by people saying, I'm going to lose my job, I'm not going to be able to visit my mother who I love to pieces, Um, I'm not going to be able to live here, and taking into account what you've just said, well, no, that's not the case. You are the boss of you. You are the person who decides what is going to happen with you. Your loved one is the person who decides what's going to happen with them, provided they're able to. And if you have a job, you are the person who decides whether or not your body will be used by the government to right. to choose or you gonna choose what's gonna happen with your body. So I a hundred percent what you're saying resonates with me. We really and truly do need to dig inside of us and start changing the conversation to what we want it to be, not what's been foisted upon us. And I think that's such an important message. So thank you for that. Um.
1: Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. In terms of the, that's, That was the initial reaction here, too, in the States. Everybody go out and get your flu vaccine because you don't want to get COVID-19 and another respiratory virus. So let's get the flu taken care of. The problem with that is you're sending everybody to the same physical location, whether they have COVID-19 or not, whether they have the, the virus or not. You're sending them and children and parents into the waiting rooms to get their flu vaccine. And you're exposing the nurses, you're exposing uh, the the uh, people that register you, you're exposing the doctor that vaccinates you, and you're, you're exposing all the other kids and parents um, in the facility if you're infected. And the doctors may be infected and they may be spreading it. So it's really stupid to bring everybody together for a flu vaccine during a pandemic. It's the stupidest thing. And that may be key here, because if you can make the case to your government that flu vaccine whether it works or whether it doesn't, beside the point, you realize that your policy is actually f- for causing the spread of this virus?
0: <laughs> it's a good right? point. By
1: bringing people together, We're supposed to be social distancing, what are you doing? Don't, you know, that, let's not be ridiculous. Uh, That may be part of it, but I'm not sure how they're doing it there.
0: Well, well, I, I also have to correct something I said. I said that if you live in an aged care facility, you need to have the flu vaccine. It's only required for visitors and for people who work there, not for residents. So I apologize for that. And in addition, we know that vaccinations as a as a group. Um, can be immunosuppressive to the person who is getting the vaccine. So if you are vaccinating in the midst of a known pandemic, are you increasing the risk that someone's going to catch a pandemic illness? I don't know. But um, we do know that there have been studies that showed that getting the flu vaccine increases your risk of acute respiratory um, conditions. So, you know, was,
1: there, there 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 it is. Yeah. We talked about it with Dimarisol and and you know the actual um, you know linked up epitope, epitope suppression kind of ideas. That's right. You know, it, it it we've been working overtime at IPAC on the Vax on Vax study on COVID-19 and everything else. We also during this time where everybody's on lockdown, the question is what's happening to to kids when they're supposed to be making their well child visits. So, you know, the, the parents are reluctant to do it in the first place, but other parents are not so reluctant, but they're not going to be pulling the kids into the pediatrics office so they don't get exposed. So there's this there's this kind of natural experiment going on where there's this uh, a pause almost on the vaccine program. And that's an opportunity certainly in terms of rates of uh, adverse events. But most, more importantly, my major concern is that when the kids if social distancing stops or if they figure out to send the wagons out and vaccinate it on your porch step or whatever, that these kids are gonna get five or six, seven, eight, Mm -hmm. nine vaccines at one time. And Neil Miller's, millions of kids will get this done to them. And Neil Miller's study shows that most of the mortality and morbidity comes from getting more than one vaccine at a time. So IPAC has, um, has just undertaken and is about to finish a study of the accumulation of aluminum under CDC's catch-up schedules in general, and then we have three use cases. And when we publish that, the argument's going to be, get this into pediatrician's offices, get it into their mailboxes, their inboxes, in their, get, send it to their um, comments on website and say, listen, this is what you'll be doing if you do five or six or seven vaccines at one time, in terms of aluminum dosing, uh, aluminum toxicity, because IPAC's the only entity that has published a pediatric dose limit for aluminum. We did this in 2008, and then we published a study showing hmm. that we don't just have acute toxicity of aluminum when you give doses of the vaccine. You actually have prolonged retention and, therefore, chronic toxicity of aluminum. That Both of
0: those. Yep. I think I may have lost you, James. Up. Oh. Hang on, guys, I'm going to try and get James back. Okay, we lost you for a minute, but you're back again. Good. Okay. So, okay. yeah, yeah. So you were talking about chronic toxicity. Me. You were talking about the chronic toxicity of aluminum.
1: Right, and we showed that in a peer-reviewed study in, in 2020, and so this third study is going to be peer-reviewed as well. And so this is an opportunity for everyone to take our studies in hand and say, look, two pediatricians, whether you're, whether you're for our vaccines or not, this is what you're doing to children by doing multiple doses vaccines and tie with it Neil Miller's study and say, please look at these. Even if you can't if you despise you know your local pediatrician because they don't talk to you or they kick you out of practice or whatever's going on, please look at this science. And they're gonna, of course, Google my name and they're gonna see CBC, they're gonna see other people disparaging me. But nevertheless, you plant that seed that perhaps there are other ways to think about reintroducing vaccination children, Are you then advocating vaccines yourself as a vaccine risk or anti-vax person? No, what you're doing is you're potentially saving a person from undue morbidity and mortality since they're going to vaccinate. That's a different probability. You're not not enabling it. You're saying, let's make sure that if it's going to happen anyway, it has to be done safely. And it's the same thing with COVID-19. The question, really, the problem in the United States is that the medical community wanted to protect themselves. They wanted to flatten Mm -hmm. out the curve. and so they did everything that they could do to set up the situation to slow down the rate of spread of the disease but they didn't do it properly so they messed up had they decided to do everything different and truncate it they would have done what i said which is massive uh initial quarantine and then treatments and then testing. testing but they couldn't they didn't have the testing so The aluminum studies by McFarland and uh, Lyonsweiler and uh, Lajoli and Paul Thomas in the Journal of Trace Elements in Medicine Biology, I think that's a good place for people to start. And then watch for our new study coming out in the Journal of of, uh, um, Translational Autoimmunity. And sometime this month, I think I should be able to finish the study on um, uh, the the, the aluminum accumulation under vaccine uh, restart.
0: Right. Now if people want to find these studies, will they find them on the IPAC website?
1: Yeah, okay. absolutely. We have a page of publications, and you can also go there if you want to help us out. Of course, it's as a CEO, it's my due diligence, so fiduciary <laughs> responsibility to say I know these are hard times, but if everybody pitches in a couple of bucks every month, you know, then then we'll be able to do more studies like this. It's really important that we that we keep that funding stream going during this hard time. So.
0: It is. It's essential. The AVN has helped support the vaxxed versus unvaccinated study, and we hope that our members will also. Um, contribute if they can to your ongoing work um, it you know there aren't many scientists out there who are actually doing this sort of work most science is completely corrupted and bought sadly um, but yeah it's almost that what what we call science like work is uh... is corrupted and bought so it's very important for us to support the scientists who are actually doing the real work Um, we've been on for quite a while and I, I think that you probably are getting pretty late where you are, but I have so enjoyed having you on the show and I appreciate you coming on like this and I'd love to have you back again. Hopefully once the, um, lockdowns are finished, we can, we can talk a bit more about the vaccination issue, but, um, James, is there anything that you wanted to, to say before we finish up?
1: Yeah, check out the IPAC back to work plan. If you go to Facebook, and you do hashtag IPAC back to work with a IPAC BAC C two, the number two at work, or you go to the IPAC webpage, you'll find that there's a page there on um, uh, CDC, uh, IPAC statement on diagnostics on CDC's diagnostics. And in on that page, you'll see a Google document and Excel spreadsheet that outlines a rational return to work plan for everybody And it is 100 percent private, independent choice about what you're going to do with the information about your COVID-19 status. That's what I'd like people to look at and uh, and certainly share information about it and get behind it. Talk to your legislators about it.
0: We can do the same in Australia. So yes, absolutely. We are not going to be on lockdown until a vaccine comes out. That's preposterous. So um, yeah, let's start working with the government and, and giving them some good advice because obviously they're not being well advised uh, about how and why we should all be allowed out of our houses again. <laughs> All right. James, again, thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for coming along today. I'm sorry that we didn't have time to go through a lot of the questions. Um, are you okay if I send you, if somebody has sent an important question that we never covered, are you okay if I send it to you, James?
1: I can try. As you might imagine, there's a torrent busy. of, you know, yeah. today, I, well, I, I'm not going to say no. Just go ahead and send it. I'll try to address them. Okay. Today, I received five videos and six articles that people say you need to read this right away you need to watch this right away which i really appreciate i can't tell you how important that is they're all like research associates to me but you know being being one guy uh we're also putting in a new garden in the backyard oh, uh, on in you. response to this crisis so that we can have fresh fruits and vegetables so um, I will do my best to try to answer all, all your right. questions. All right, no worries. Time. I'll
0: try not to send you too much. So, thank you again. It was wonderful speaking with you, and we would-